I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Renato Vaca of Cantina del Pino on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Nice to have you here. It's my pleasure to be here. So you're at Cantina del Pino and you make Barbaresco from Ovello and from other vineyards in Neve. When did you get started there and what is the history of the estate? Uh, basically, I started to make my own wine and uh, to bottle uh, our own production under the name of Cantina del Pino in 1997. Uh, because um, uh, before that, my father, my family was involved in a cooperative, uh, which is a very well-known cooperative in Barbaresco called Produttore de Barbaresco. Actually, my father was one, uh, was one of the founders of this cooperative in uh, 1958 and with uh, my two uncles. They were like families that they were um, uh, closer to the to the church, to the priest, to local priest, and uh, Don Fiorino. That that was the name of this uh, of this priest. They had this idea of basically uh, starting uh, a production as a, a group of family instead of selling the grapes Nebbiolo uh, in the market, where bigger and famous names for many years they were making already. Uh, the vinification with these grapes, but of course, the price point of the grapes was always a little bit low, and then they were always struggling with the with the, with the price uh, uh, in, of these grapes. So, doing the effort to grow through all year these grapes, and then getting low uh, uh, low uh, uh, low price, basically was uh, was the first idea. Like, okay, we get uh, to produce our own. We have to do our own project and to do our own bottling of wine and to start our own production. So uh, there were some, my father and other fam- six other families, they were the first to start this project in 1958. And uh, of course, uh, uh, many families after this, they were joining this, uh, this project, was growing little by little. They were starting to do a, a good business uh, the economy was starting to get better, so apparently this uh, was starting in a very good, uh, positive way. Because it's a cooperative that a lot of people think makes really good wine today and, and in the past. Absolutely. And so basically now the cooperative has been grown to 60 families 
And uh, my father, be, being one of the members, was very close, was very involved. My uncle, too, uh, Celestino, my father is Adriano. So they were, they were uh, putting their own ideas and they were really cooperating. So they had, they had this, uh, uh, we have this history of cooperation, I would say. Uh, and so for me, of course, it was not easy to, to convince my father to, to do this step and uh, to leave the cooperative at one point uh, in 1997 because, of course, uh, was very close and was very, uh, I mean, f feeling part of this uh, group of producers. And how many producers have left the cooperative since it started? I would say not many because the co cooperative is doing very well and, um, and they are paying very well the grapes. This is a very important key, of course. And so I, I believe for, since then, four only. I, we were one of the last, uh, because actually it's always challenging. Barbaresco, like Barolo, it is a wine that is not produced and then sold the next year. It's a kind of uh, wine that requires uh, investments, requires time before to be released. Because uh, you have to age it for three years before you can... Yeah, three years minimum. And so... It's a, it's a big step to do, uh, to, to move from vine growing and selling grapes to sell wine. So basically this required for the first years to do, to sell some wine in bulk and slowly to reach what we do now that we bottle, is all estate bottle wines and all our production. So you're 45 years old now. Yes. When did you get started with the winery? I guess you grew up in the area. Yeah, I grew up in the area, and in the area, of course, uh, it's a rural area where uh, uh, when you grow up, you are always asked by the family to do your collaboration, even when I was going in school. So I grew up in this, uh, I grew up where I'm still living now. So it's, f it's four generations that we live in the same house, and uh, we have the same land. And uh, so I was asked to give my collaboration, so I started to learn a little bit the works in the vineyards when I was a kid. And of course, I was kind of like a little forced to do this because it's not always uh, what a kid wants to do, but actually it was a good school because I could see, uh, I could see the works uh, every season and I could, start, I, I could start to learn. And, um, and of course, uh, after that, uh, I, was, I was kind of like a, um, invited by my father to to go to the winemaking school of course because what does that mean invited <laughs> like how Invi <laughs> invited because actually you know when you grow up working uh, a little bit uh, uh, forced because a kid doesn't want to work i mean when i was uh, 12 15 to do like my couple of hours a day of work was uh something I didn't want to do. I prefer to play you to do something else, of course. But, uh, uh, and so, and so in, my, in my idea, I was uh, looking for doing something else. I, I was not, I was like, kind of like uh, having um, the will of, of leaving maybe and, uh, and doing my own way. And so I was thinking like, uh, for example, I remember I was feeling like I want to do, I was interested in cooking. I want to do like uh, maybe the cooking school. I had friends that were in restaurants. And so I was telling my father, I don't want to do this. I want to go in school, in a school for cooking. And my father, once, I remember once we were driving in, in Alba in front of the winemaking school and he said, do you see that place? 
that old house and said, that's the place you're going to go <laughs> to study. And so I was like, I had that no doesn't choice. look like the, the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to forget about that and uh, to forget about that. And actually I, I went to this school uh, and of course it uh, was the right, uh, right decision because actually I have this great opportunity to have this uh, beautiful soil in Barbaresco and would be really, uh, kind of a waste not working with these grapes. And so now I'm happy that I made this decision, uh, even if it was a little bit forced, of course. How did the family get in a hold of those vineyards and when did that happen? What's the history of the actual holdings? Uh, yeah, uh, it's, I'm saying that it's four generations that we are in, the, in Barbaresco and in specific, we are on the hill of Ovello. Uh, which is very close to the center of the town. It's, it is uh, an, old, an old farm that was on, the, was on the map of the region already in the 1800s. So it was one of the first houses in Barbaresco. It's very, very old. And actually, uh, we go back in the, at the end of 1800s when my great-grandfather, Giuseppe Vacca, that was also with, the, with a strong idea of cooperation because was... He, him was also involved in the first cooperative uh, Produttore del Barbaresco that started in 18, if I don't remember wrong, uh, 86 or 89 was the first cooperative that was uh, leaded by Domizio Cavazza. Domizio Cavazza was an agronomist coming in Piemonte from uh, Emilia Romagna to uh, teach growers to fight the phylloxera problem with uh, uh, teaching, the grafting, and actually also uh, uh, learning more about mildew, the white mildew, the use of the copper. And so uh, started kind of like a, a schools for these uh, growers that became in 1882, the winemaking school of Alba where actually I've been going in like a uh, hundred years later. So this guy, uh, happens that he, he found this house in Barbaresco. The, uh, it was like a richer family that uh, uh, purchased the castle of Barbaresco. And, uh, and then he had the chance to buy some land. And so uh, he bought, his first land he bought was the house where I'm still living with the property around. So the same vineyards I'm owning now. Plus another estate in Pora, another beautiful site in Barbaresco. Then is, uh, after uh, some years, he started this project of the cooperative project. And so few families, including my great-grandfather, they were involved in that. Years later, after 20 years of cooperative, things they were changing and uh, problems with the first war. And, and uh, uh, Domitio Cavazza uh, had some problems, actually passed away. And my father, my great-grandfather had the opportunity to buy this estate from his family. So this is the beginning of the, of the this is the start of uh, the, the, uh, our family being in this house where, that is now called Cantina del Pino. The Pino is a pine tree. So Cantina del Pino, I am using this as a logo because it's, it's planted in top of the property where the house is, is a 150 years old pine tree that Domizio Cavazza planted when his first son was born. You went to winemaking school in Alba? Yes. And what was that experience like? 
uh, that, of course, at the beginning, as I said, I didn't like that much. So it was not, I was not a great student. But then I ended up like uh, uh, being more involved and more interested, uh, of course, in the wine. Because beside that, I was also working in the vineyards and I was looking, also trying to do some vinification myself with some dolcetto, with some Barbera to experiment things that we were learning in school. And my father, of course, like every farmer was making some wine in his own uh, property to have some wine to drink every day because wine was not only something to sell, it was something to consume as a, as a, it was food for us, no? My father was drinking every day quite a bit of wine. Uh, and so it was part of the diet of every, every uh, farmer and worker, of course. After school, you went to work in the Prodatory, in the cooperative. Yeah, after a few years, I went, uh, I mean, a couple of years, I went to work at Prodatory, to work in the doing a harvest, and then working full-time uh, to do with the local winemaking, uh, winemaker, uh, uh, like a helper winemaker and so I did like six years there trying every kind of side of the work that is in a winery of course mainly from vinifications uh, some lab and some uh, selling wines and doing deliveries some taking care of shipments so so I believe a good experience uh, for me and what did you learn during that period of time what really stood out for you about how the cooperative makes wine for me, like still now, the most exciting time of the year is the harvest time, of course, like for every winemaker. It's the time that you can work almost 24 hours a day and you don't feel tired because the energy is very, very high. The excitement about the new harvest is big and uh, the, the wine is made in this time. So I, I remember very well the fermentations, the time, the selection of the grapes uh, at, the, at the crusher machine. The visit we were doing before the harvest, you know, in each in each uh, vineyard to understand well the time of picking and it was the right time to start. So all things that they were uh, really exciting and they were really uh, a learning experience focused very much about the Nebbiolo grapes because we have to remember Produttore de Barbaresco, they only crushed Nebbiolo grapes and so it was very, very focused. You convinced your dad when you were working together in the vineyard that perhaps leaving the cooperative would be the best move for the family. And what did you tell him? Actually, to say it didn't happen very, very quickly because actually these, uh, they were, uh, they were discussions we have been doing, I believe, for years. Uh, because the beginning was not was not positive about that for sure, but I understood. So I kind of like worked uh, a little bit slower, spending the time in the vineyards because I spent a lot of time in the vineyards. Each one we had a row doing any kind of work because the work in the vineyards there is like very long. And so we spend a lot of hours. And so in the meantime, we discuss about what we should do in the vineyard, what we should do uh, to make a better grape. And so uh, I started to to tell him what what about if we start to make our own wine what about because actually we were making some dolcetto and some barbera because already we had some of these two grapes and so i had some little tanks but of course i didn't have all the equipment first of all is a big investment and so uh, it's something you can do in once and so you have to do little by little but overall was living the it was a matter of living the cooperative something that uh, uh, my father was investing into this for all uh, all his life, and so it was a 
was very difficult for him to take the decision. But actually, I would say that uh, Adriano, my father, has been... is uh, uh, an old man now, he's 76, and, but I always seen, I have seen in him something that is like more modern in his way. I mean, he's open-minded. And so I respect this very much, and uh, we became good partners now, and so it really allowed m- me to to start this project without without really uh, giving me too too much ob- obstacles. No, uh, I could see some friends having fathers thinking more in the old way, but not being open and having a lot of conflict of generation within. So, of course, there is always a, big con- a little conflict in generations, but actually I, I'm, I was lucky because, was lucky because actually he, he let me do and we started to be, to collaborate in this project. It is like a still now working uh, more in the vineyard sides. My father doesn't like to work in the, in the winery and so the winery is something that is new, is mine uh, in, in project and uh, but it's like... Uh, my vineyard manager, you know, every single vine, and I learned so much, I'm still learning from him, and adding uh, knowledges that, uh, that that are still helping me in making the wine I wanna make. And this is like a very important key, uh, beside adding my knowledges, and so we are always discussing together the way to work in the vineyards to increase the quality of the grapes. Because we, we both now believe that uh, that's the way, that there is the place where we play the game to making the good Barbaresco. More and more it is the vineyards and the, 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 the winery is always something that happens after that is, is less relevant than what we do in the vineyards. Why was it important to you to leave the cooperative? What was it that you really wanted to achieve by leaving? Probably it was, uh, it was my... Um, it is a desire that was growing uh, year after year, doing vinification at Produttori and doing large vinification at Produttori, having different parcels blended together. And uh, at the same time, I was working in the vineyards with my father. And so uh, I was focusing in doing what I think is the best to make a better wine, but not seeing really the result for the work I did in that single specific vineyard because everything we do, everything, every leaf we remove or we leave or the gra- or we decide uh, maybe to work the soil or not to work the soil, to spray once more the copper or not. And so our, when, I do, when we do this, I'm always thinking at the wine that is in the glass and like, uh, w- will this be something that increases the quality or not. And so it's like, how can I do this if I don't make my own vinification? And so I would really, uh, I decided this because the desire to see this result of the work in the vineyard was strong. And this was the only way. Beside that, of course, the pleasure of making our own wine, to have my own label. And it's like a personal satisfaction and so I believe it's a little bit of ego that brings you to do this. Did it cause any rifts in your own family? Because uh, Aldo Vaca, who's the sort of general manager of the cooperative, is also your cousin. So were there any discussions that had to go on to make that a, a, a smooth transition? 
We, no, I think uh, everything was uh, quite smooth. Uh, it's not. It's not nice. Uh, um, I mean. I want to say the members of the cooperative, they are not very happy when someone is leaving, especially if you have good vineyards, they're losing a little bit of a piece of the, of the soil or the land. But uh, they, they understood, of course, they, they, are not, they didn't leave any other producer after they left me in 1997. So still the cooperative, there are more, there are more people they want to get in than people they want to get out because they do a very good job. And so uh, we are good friends with them, with my cousin, we are cousin and friends. And so I believe uh, there is there, actually there is always a good collaboration because honestly, I have to say that when I talk about Barbaresco, when I talk about Cantina del Pino and I travel to show the wines, I'm always talking about the town, the wine, the designated name of Barbaresco and speaking always very highly about the cooperative where I, I used to be a member and there my father founded because I believe they make great wines. And was that a change for you to travel to different markets? I mean, Barbaresco is a fairly small town. You grew up there. Did you get a chance to do much traveling before you left uh, to sell the wines? No, I, uh, actually... Um, I was. Uh, I grew up in Barbaresco. I lived in Barbaresco and... Uh, from uh, my my twenty, first twenty five years, uh, even more, they were like uh, spent within Barbaresco and Alba, which is like ten kilometers, and so it's like I didn't really travel at all. Uh, but I had this, uh, I had this strong feeling like I want to see the world, I want to see outside of here, because uh, of course uh, I want to know more about what's the world like, and and of course doing this work was also uh, fascinating and starting this project fascinating because maybe I could uh, have the chance to propose my wine in different parts of the world and showing the work I do. And so having the opportunity to see places, uh, to travel, and this is like a great part of my job that I feel very lucky I have because allows me to see uh, different cities in the world and knowing people and I, I believe since I have this work and since I'm traveling to promote my wine and I know if I have to count all the person I know now around the world it would be like uh, exponentially they increased because before I only knew the people around my, my town and so this is a very exciting way to enjoy life too. What are the holdings that you have at the winery? What vineyards do you work? All the estate is uh, in uh, Ovello. Ovello is like a, a large hill uh, and one of the uh, sing single vineyard, but it's not really a single vineyard because uh, it's more about uh, areas in Barbaresco, designated areas. And it's one of the official sites that also uh, is made by other producers. Like, of course, we were making, Produttore de Barbaresco is making a novello. So when I started the vinification, I had this beautiful vineyard, this uh, different section of this novello, and I started to make my novello. Uh, from these vines that have been planted uh, uh, 70, 75 years ago. So we have old vines, also for Dolcetto, for Barbera, which is a smaller amount, but we have vines that are as old as fi from 50 to 70. 
And so that was also a good, a good way to start because it's important. This is an important key to make wines for aging. Uh, during the following years, I, I, I had the chance, not that I was really looking for increasing my small production, uh, but I had the chance, the opportunity to purchase few vineyards, to lease one of them, uh, but uh, only very nice vineyards that I was really looking forward to do as a single vinification to, to see the different expression of a Nebbiolo in a different side. So what I added to the property is not Barbera or Dolcetto, but Nebbiolo only. And that was in the Gallina vineyard, in the Starderi vineyard, and the Albezani vineyard. Three different soils, different Neovello, that they express a different terroir. So for me, that was very exciting because Nebbiolo, it's all about that. And so it is something that uh, I see already from the beginning of the fermentations in the vineyards, different bouquet, different aromas. Uh, and so makes the Nebbiolo a very, very interesting grape to vinify. And what did you see as the differences between those crews? They are, um, the three vineyards I just uh, mentioned, they are in the village of Neve. Uh, generally speaking, these vineyards, they are a little bit lower in elevation than what Ovello is. Um, and they are kind of more protected uh, from the valley where the river flows, which is very, very close to the Ovello hill. That is a little bit higher in elevation. This is one uh, of the things that makes uh, the, the climate a bit different. The valley and the river, they bring a little bit more fog on the Ovello Hill, and so cooler temperature during the September-October time. Uh, so more drop of temperature overnight also for that part of the, of the uh, vineyard we own. When, uh, for example, the Albezani, which is another single vineyard I make uh, and I bottle separate, uh, it's a bit more protected, south exposed, very uh, also very traditional and old vineyard that is uh, a bit warm and uh, doesn't get too much the effect of the fog because a bit more protected by the Ovello Hill which is just by, uh, on the side and shows in the soil a little bit more clay than what we get in the Ovello which is a marn with a lot of calcium and a, a touch of more sand as a result I'm talking about these two vineyards because they are the single vineyards I'm making. Uh, the Ovello shows a bit more finesse, brighter tones, more acidity, like higher tones than what we get in the Albezani, where the fruit is touch of more darker, almost more kind of a black fruit, more powerful. Right now, a little shor shorter because the, the minerality we get in the Ovello is very, very long. Uh, when in the Albezani, we get more the power. So I like to have these two vineyards but they are, because they are quite different. And then display this difference pretty much consistently year after year, reflecting very much the vintage too, of course, because first of all, it is the vintage, the shape up the character of the wine, but always they have, I find, I'm learning now, because it's not many years that I had the Albezani, and learning that these differences, they are shown consistently year after year. So I see people liking more one style or more the other. I believe to have this very clear and very expressed, uh, and now it's, it's what I'm doing and trying to do, it will be more focused on this, is to have a winemaking that is less uh, 
craft in the wine, is less technology, is less, is like very, very gentle in order like to have these uh, qualities very well expressed. So that means that the wines, they are, they go through a long maceration, they are just distant, they spend the same time in oak, and they are not fined, they are not filtered, uh, there's nothing else than a pump moving the wine at the right time when most of the times the wine is moved by gravity. So, very gentle way to let express well the soils. I see the more we act in the wineries, the less, the more they get closer. Or if I do a fining, I reduce the tannin, maybe the Albezani, which is a, a displays stronger tannins, and it's, it becomes a little smoother when it's younger. So maybe better, I don't know, but actually it's not Albezani anymore. It gets closer to the Ovello. So I prefer to leave everything like it is from the vineyards. In this way, it's more about vintage and soils. Because the elevage is the same. The elevage is the same. What I'm trying to do, and what I've been doing since many years now, it is meticulously, everything is the same. I also bought these two vineyards the same day. They are small parcels, so I can handle that. In order really that I, 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 for myself too, when I taste the wines, I don't think like, oh, maybe it was uh, that fining or this filtration or the other work I did in the vineyards. No, I'm trying to do everything the same in order really uh, to let uh, express at the best this quality. How long is that maceration on the skins? It is for about four weeks. And then you pump over? Pump over. Uh, we push down the cap uh, at the beginning once a day, but uh, no, uh, then we, we do that a little bit like every two days and then less and less. So at the beginning, the fermentation is a bit more dynamic and then is less. So you, you push it down by hand or with Yeah, the, the small tanks, yes. In the larger tanks, it uh, would be like... A, a piston we, we managed to, to, to build to do that, uh, otherwise it would be very difficult. And what about the aging in terms of uh, wood? Yeah, in terms of wood, so I would say that that kind of maceration is very, very classic. It's what I, uh, I learned to do at Produttori. Another thing I, I can do, which is like uh, more a, 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 an outside control we do, is like the temperature. I don't let the temperature to go too high in order to to have wines that they are not over-extracted, not, uh, they don't lose their finesse, they come from the vineyards, because I would say Barbaresco, it is a lot about finesse. Uh, and then uh, uh, the wines after this, uh, this maceration, they go in oak and they go in a small French cask, which is less modern, with less uh, traditional in a way, for one year. And then at this, after the second year of aging, they go in larger cask for the second year of aging. This slows down a little bit the aging. And after that, in the bottle. Then the wine is, bottle, is bottled and ages in the bottle for one to sometimes three years. I'm releasing the 2008 only now. So when the wine, I, I see that the wine is ready. You know, the Protatory doesn't tend to age in that small French oak. Where did you decide to do that? Why, why make that decision? But, uh, I found that um, I want to have the wines less moved possible. I don't want to expose the wine to the oxygen too much at the same time. And so when every time we do a racking, we give a lot of, we move the wine from tank to tank, we give more oxygen to the wine. 
After the fermentation, wine goes in small barrels and they don't need to be moved for one year at least. There's no reduction because in small cask, there's a good transpiration. It gives the good oxygen that allows the wine to, to stay clean, to get reductions. So after that, I want to slow down because actually I believe I want to reduce this release of oxygen. And so large cask allows me to do with a bigger volume of wine in a large cask, there is a slow release of oxygen too. So the maturation slows down a little bit. So one reckoning in two years, this is like uh, something I really like to do. I do that by gravity. I have two levels now. I mean, finally now I have a winery. Took a while before to, to have all the space I need. And uh, another aspect is like uh, I have small parcels. I have, um, I'm very interested in do different vinifications and to do single vinification on every parcel. So right now in the winery 2013, I have six different Barbarescos. I don't make six different bottles, bottlings, but I can taste at least for the first year, the evolution on every single wine and to see the character of the terroir and so the small barrels i don't use a lot i mean it's a little amount of new oak so so i'm pretty neutral allows me to to be able to to taste this and to keep them separate so even though later you blend the stardary and the galena and a bit of the ovello into the traditional barbaresco normally bottling you keep them different until they're blended together. Exactly. Actually, I do that for the first year because doing the second year in large cask, of course, uh, I have to start to blend in the second year. Uh, but the first year, uh, after one year, is the, is the time I start to understand better a vintage and so gives uh, me a lot of clues about that vineyard, about the way it evolves. And so, yes, also for the Barbaresco Tradizionale, I, I have these uh, single, four single vineyards that they are vinified all separate. So all the Starderi, all the Gallina, one of the section of the Ovello, which is the southeast 65 years old vines called Albano, which is a beautiful vineyard, and plus always a little bit of Starderi, and this to give all complexity to the wine. And always I can see a very good consistency year after year because we go from plenty south to southeast, so different exposure that they balance each other every year. So I like this concept. So there's actually different parcels of the Ovello. Yeah, they are Ovello. Uh, it is a larger hill. It is very close to the town. When uh, we drive towards Barbaresco, when we to- reach the top of the hill, this is the top of uh, the Barbaresco, of the Ovello uh, hill, and it's where we have the house. So it is as different facing. There is a narrow little top, which is actually our property. It's also known as, as Brick Mentina, which is plenty south. And then it turns to this, the west, a little bit to west, and that's called Loreto. So these two sections, they are the same soil. They are, so the soil is similar, it's contiguous. That would be the Ovello single vineyard they make. Very old, beautiful, with uh, vines that they, they, they give consistently very good grapes. Uh, and then, But there is also a south-west, because... Uh, it's almost like a triangle, this hill. And uh, that section 
there is a touch of more clay in the soil. When I work the soil, I see some reddish strip, some different, uh, and so also there, there's a displaced uh, similar character to the ovello, but with more earthiness, with more, uh, almost getting closer to the neve style of Barbaresco. And this is a single vinification. And then, of course, the other three vineyards to get, uh, they are vinified uh, separately. Uh, and then they will be blended, of course, to make the traditional Barbaresco, when the Ovello and the Starderi, which is a beautiful south, also know, is this the same hill known also as uh, also like uh, Santo Stefano Hill, so uh, historically a very good vineyard. Uh, is also bottled um, as a single vineyard, but not all. Only a small parts, uh, one, one, one part, I make 2,000 bottles of that, really just to have a wine to display and uh, to have as a single vineyard because I believe single vineyards, they are great expression uh, and a great help for us to show how Nebbiolo is sensitive to the soil. So when I do a tasting, I have two different vineyards like this side by side that plus they are, make, they are made by the same producers. It's a very good statement that it tells how Nebbiolo is sensitive to the soil. It's, uh, it's exactly made in the same way, but expressed to different soils. So that's why it's planted there, that's why Barbaresco, that's why Barolo, that's why Nebbiolo is not everywhere in the world. But overall, the idea of blending together different soils, like I do in the traditional Barbaresco, I believe it's, it's a, a more than traditional, it is also something I, I personally like. Because I, sometimes I say that if I really had to make a wine, a Barbaresco to drink myself, I would be super selective in every vineyard and I would blend them to have more complexity. Which in a way is not something so many producers do today. You don't see so many blended uh, Barolo or Barbaresco. I mean, there's, a, there's you know, the Torre bottling of Potatori and there's Barlo Mascarello in, in Barolo, yeah. but you don't see so many blended from different soils that are offered as the top wine of the estate, at least. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because actually, I I see that the concept uh, of um, the, what I call traditionale, sometimes is called like base, which is like more uh, kind of an entry level, uh, Barolo or Barbaresco. And I don't, I don't think there are uh, entry level Barolo and Barbaresco, for what I'm trying to do in my estate is like, we have to be selec selective, not all the Barbaresco and Barolo, the de designated Barbaresco and Barolo vineyards, they might be a perfect wine for aging 20 plus and 30 plus years, but we have Nebbiolo Lange. Nebbiolo Lange is a perfect wine to be selective in that vineyards, to make a wine maybe with shorter maceration, maybe not aging oak like that, or maybe in stainless steel, the, that is what I'm doing, to give a wine expressive of the grape, to, deal, to, to give a Nebbiolo that expresses the Nebbiolo in his youth, in his uh, fresh and fruit, fruity expression. And it is a delicious wine to drink and to pair with many different food, different kind of food, I would say. So what about the differences between Galena and Stardairy? Galena and Stardairy, they are, um, uh, I find the two wines... Um, expressing different character again, because uh, Gallina is very close to the Barbaresco area, to the Ovello Hill, and I see uh, Gallina expressing more uh, uh, lightness and finesse, what I find more in the Barbaresco area, 
when Stardari definitely uh, it is a wine that express more power more dark fruit I can see an exceptionally depth in the fruit in the Stardari uh, with the, almost a black kind of fruit very uh, intense and sweet which is very exciting uh, already from the vinification I see uh, during the fermentation different colors coming from the Galena which is lighter, a little bit brighter and very deep in, uh, in Stardari uh, this is probably for a level of clay that is more in that side. It's a beautiful, completely south side. And um, so a more mus muscular character in the, in the Stardari. It tends to be, uh, sometimes I say, a bit more bar Barbera-like almost. And so this fruit has more intense stones. Uh, in, in the Gallina I find uh, a little bit more refined tannins, a little bit more complex bouquet, more floral in a way, more like it's shown in the Ovello, but with tannins a little silkier than what we get in the Ovello that is like uh, as tannins that they are in a way a little sharper. So you planted the Stardari and the Galena. They weren't vines that were already there when you took up the lease. And how did you plant them? Uh, basically, uh, what, I'm, um, uh, what I'm doing, I'm planting different clones and trying to repeat what, uh, what is, uh, uh, has been done many years ago in the old vineyards we had, which was like a massage selection of different plants taken from the best vines around our property or other properties of neighborhoods. Uh, and planted so always a mix of plant of mix of clone i believe it's not good to have a vineyard that is only one clone on a biolo because there are 14 different clones on a biolo and they can be very different one from the other so we can characterize the wine too much with a clone and so i always plant like four or five different clones every other row in order to have it a little bit uh, spread in the vineyard spread around in the vineyard and uh, and so i choose some clones they have been uh, selected, they have been vinified like with micro vinification. The University of Torino has been doing a great job, and my, my close friend uh, uh, Nicola Argamante has been uh, involved uh, uh, in this selection. And so I was lucky to be in contact with him. And so every time I had to do some work in these vineyards and to select a grape and a clone, he was coming and explaining me the different clones and the different expression they have been uh, uh, showing in the micro vinification they have been doing at the university so the suggestions was always to blend different clones from some that they are more powerful they display probably the character of more uh, the uh, dark dark colors and richer fruit like the 146 for example uh, to some other that they have smaller berries and they have good concentration like the 71, the 72 and mixed with some like the 111 which is uh, known as also apparently is the rosé so the one with less color but great finesse so it's always like trying to repeat what was a classic old vineyard and so the Biolo is not only one grape as uh, are many grapes like Pinot Noir are many different clones and so we have to pay attention to this and, the, and so I planted these uh, three vineyards with a mix of clone so in this way probably is the best way to see then the terroir otherwise it would be too much 
thinking about uh, well maybe is the clone and so uh, that's that's what, what what's important i believe it's important to do of course then the the, the more the new vineyard on the biolo they age and the more consistent consistent they have more consistency in uh, in quality of course because they can stand better extreme weathers doesn't mean that the young, young vines like five six seven years they can give a good uh, barbaresco or barolo they could they can but the vintage has to be they are the, the climate has to be perfect and has to have these vines uh, growing well not too vigorous not too stressed to reach a perfect maturation because it's a matter of bringing the the, the, the the, of leading the vineyards to reach the right amount of stress uh, to give the best grapes. A vine with, uh, when uh, is in that window, in that uh, kind of uh, light stress, is giving the best. Is not growing too much new leaves. Is stopping the vegetation more. You know, at the beginning of August and starting to ripe well, having smaller berries, bigger skins. And this is the main work we were talking about for making good wines. We have to do this in the vineyards. So since I'm taking care of the state of the family, I was trying to lead the vineyards to in this phase. Old vineyards, they are naturally in this phase. Young vineyards, very attentive about the fertilization. It's 20 years we don't do any fertilization. Otherwise, it would be too vigorous. Nebbiolo it is a vigorous grape. And so in this way, it founds this balance sooner. And so we can have better quality sooner and to vinify these grapes as barbaresco sooner. Before these grapes, they're perfect to, move, to make wine more, with more fruit, maybe less depth, which is Nebbiolo Lange, for, for example. And has the area gotten warmer and drier? We have vintages that they are warmer. We have probably more vintages that they are warmer now than what we had in the past. But uh, we had 2013, we had 2010, and they were not. And so still some of the classic vintage, they are back. And Nebbiolo is reacting well to the, those vintages. And what is the fruit of Nebbiolo? What does Nebbiolo taste like? Nebbiolo, Nebbiolo is like uh, sometimes uh, is a wine uh, that uh, is difficult to to. Uh, to have him it expressing very well because he's a little shy, a little tight, and needs al always a little bit of time to express his fruit. His fruit uh, often uh, is a little hided, and uh, with the oxygen is opening up with uh, some little fruits like red fruits, like cherries, little berries when he's young. But also when he's young, I see my vinification of the Nebbiolo Langa, we get some already some, some of the spice. So some of, uh, some of the pepper, some of the white pepper, some of the uh, dried herbs and species like thyme. And th these are growing more and more uh, once the wine, of course, after being properly aged in oak, is aging in the bottle. And so this character of spice, they, they take higher tones when the fruit is less upfront and the wine displays at the palate more minerality, more complexity, more length. And that's the time once I see the Nebbiolo expressing itself at the best, because when he's, when he's young, he's, a, he's more fruit driven. And it, it isn't interesting because still has minerality, but the more it ages in the, in the, in the, in the bottle and the more express 
a great a greater complexity and more the length and more the character of the soil and the character of that specific vineyards so i'm always uh, pleased when i have the chance to open uh, a barolo a barbaresco once they get 10 years i would say 10 years of aging is, is starts to really show what we want to see in those wines so more like dried flowers than fresh flowers and uh, a spice that uh, has more layers and uh, reve revealing these more layers once they open the glass and uh, i believe from that we see that character and so uh, from that on the wine starts to show uh, a more noble character of, of the grape of course so often these wines we drink it too young but uh, between the 10-15 years I see it's a beautiful window to get already the wine that uh, probably we can call Barolo or Barbaresco when, uh, when they are younger it's almost like a work in progress on that uh, but overall, I would say that uh, when I really like a wine and uh, I really believe in the uh, good grapes uh, we have been using to make this wine, I can enjoy the wine young too, of course. It's not as complex as it could be, but I can see this one, that wine would be more complex. I'm just drinking a little bit younger and so it's more a bit sometimes it's like a matter of pairing the wine a little bit better uh, but of course once it's more than 20 years that we age this wine well in a in a cellar we get really this wine starting to to show what it's all about nebbiolo so more complexity did you find that racking the wine less brought a different quality to the fruit of the nebbiolo but i'm i'm always thinking that um we have to be very attentive to make wines that they are good, of course. They are drinkable also when they are young. But I believe my first goal before that is to give wines that they, they have a great ageability. And so to, the, user, I mean, the contact with the oxygen has to be wise, has to be the wines that Nebbiolo can be sensitive to the oxygen. And so... Uh, we have to dose this and so to to reduce this impact and to keep the wine clean but to bottle the wine a little bit protected because even if it's a little bit tight when it's young we have the responsibility i mean we have the responsibility to have these wines aging very long so this is my first goal and so less use of oxygen gives to the wine uh better better chances to age better does it affect the actual texture and the kind of fruit that you get too or no in a way keeps this fruit uh, aging slower because the process of aging overall is a uh, oxygenation and so uh, I like I like to have the fruit that ripes but in a slow way I prefer to have the wine a little fresh or maybe a little difficult when it's just released but uh, uh, that is more resistant to the air even the third day I open a, a bottle and so this is always a good sign for drinking a wine uh, after many years and to be so happy because I see that uh, the best uh, satisfaction we can have from a wine we think is a great wine is when it's very old and uh, still has a long way to go and so these are 
always a great experience when we can open a bottle like that. Would you go so far as to say that you're trying to work reductively with the Nebbiolo? Yeah, I'm trying to work with the Nebbiolo, not re really reductively, but actually to keep uh, the wine in the right path in order to don't uh, exceed and uh, uh, to have the wine too open because it could be risky. Of course, uh, I always say that I'm, I'm learning year after year and this is like a never-ending uh, story, this one of learning about winemaking. We have only one chance every year, of course, and so I'm adjusting a little bit the things without changing drastically my style or what I'm doing uh, to, uh, with this idea in my mind. So uh, to keep the wine uh, a little bit on the reductive side when it's aging in the cask and uh, in this way we can also reach another goal which is very important for me too is like the use of uh, lower level sulfites and so in these wines sometimes I'm surprised how low it is like 40 ppm I had just had some analysis of the wine which is a, a level that after six months uh, one year in the bottle there's not even free sulfites and so it's like very very clean wines and so uh, and this and this is the only thing I add in the wine because my wines they don't see they don't see anything added to the the, 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 the acidity that comes from the vineyard is the acidity that it, it has its life in the wine so I don't touch this balance I don't move it this I have to do all right in the vineyards to pick at the right time to have what I need to have a wine aging well. If I had to correct uh, something in the wine, if I had to add something, I believe is always correcting some mistakes that is coming from the vineyards. I like to play easy. I like to say, I'm not a good winemaker. I need great grapes to make a great wine because otherwise uh, I don't know what to do with that. And so it's all, the, all the game is played in the vineyards and in the right time of picking. I, I learned, I'm learning, but actually I learned from difficult vintages. Uh, when I started, it was a difficult vintage, and so I made good wines. They probably, the first one I made, they are not aging like I want. And so, of course, we do mistakes and then we learn. So you felt 97 was a difficult year? It was warm, it was beautiful. Uh, it was difficult in a way because uh, I was so excited to have this beautiful ripe fruit with low yields because 12 low, low yields was already a goal I had from the beginning. And it was that's an easy thing to do, you think, the crop. But it's not all about that. I was thinking it was all about that, but it's not. And, uh, and actually the acidity we picked, probably they were a little bit uh, lower. And so the, the wine was was doing very well, was already very show, showing very well. I believe now is a wine we have to drink now, and so I would like the 97 to, to age uh, longer than, than, than what, is, is, what it is. And so uh, I believe uh, we have to, to work better in the ma managing the canopy in that years. Uh, of course, it was an extreme vintage. And uh, to pick, the, uh, to have the maturation, of phen the phenolic maturation reaching their peak and still having the acidity. This is the tricky thing of the warm vintages. So I would say, give an exam example, I'm very happy with my 2003, which is a not 
It's not the best vintage, probably. You but felt like a, by the time you got to 03, you learned from what I happened. I learned from that, uh, 97, for example. And so, 2093, now they are young, they are fresh, they are aging 03. very well. 03, I'm sorry, uh, the 03. I'm already mistaken. No, no, 10 I just... years <laughs> at the time. Because <laughs> that'd be awesome if your 03 tasted like a 93. That would be amazing. <laughs> I didn't make a 93, but actually, my goal is that. I mean, keeping aside bottles and to reach then that uh, age aging having bought at the age that long and they are delicious and so uh, I don't know I have to wait but I'm working in that direction and what about some of the other vintages that have occurred over your career in terms of making your own wine um, we are lucky because as you know we had good vintages uh, in the last uh, more than 10 years actually we have good vintages they are different, though, one from the other, because every couple of years we have a warm vintage, warmer. I believe, like I did, uh, other wineries, they really learn very well from the, these uh, uh, extremely high, warm, uh, warmer vintages. And so every, everyone is doing better to manage these vintages. And so uh, pretty consistently we have uh, good wines, uh, uh, but with different styles, of course, because the warm vintage affects the Nebbiolo in a different way than a cool vintage. So, of course, we never expect the same wine in Barbaresco like in Barolo. It's, it's very much about vintage. Uh, so, the dif one of the difficult vintage, uh, besides, for example, 97 or... Uh, I mean, for me, 97 was difficult, probably for other producer experience was not, but I'm talking for my experience, my first experience. Uh, the 93 was uh, also a little bit challenging. Uh, another vintage was was quite one, one of the last bad vintages was 2002, for example. 2002 was also uh, an expression of the opposite thing. So rain, rain, we didn't have any hail like in Barolo, but actually uh, we had a lot of rain through all the summer. So old vines managing the hills very, very severely um, happened, I mean, we, um, helped me to reach uh, uh, a small crop and uh, helped by the weather we had uh, in late September, beginning of October, beginning of October. I made a novello 2002 when many, many, many labels were not produced in that vintage. That's, that's an extreme vintage, just to give an example, that, um, that I'm proud of, proud of because actually this wine is an excellent wine in a difficult vintage. Uh, and so it was a matter of uh, working well in the vineyards and having old vines that they were giving this great consistency with deep roots and not suffering too much the extreme level of water we had. So this is a vintage a little bit more extreme that I'm pr proud of. Uh, after that, we had great vintages, like 2004. 2004, it's a better vintage, of course, but easy. And so I'm, I, I like more the four than the two, but the two is more uh, my baby, because actually the four, they are very high standard quality. And so when we buy a four, it's never a risk. We will have a good uh, 
uh, uh, I would say, a good quality from from all the region, and so th- it's a memorable vintage, of course. It, it is showing very well now. Uh, and after this, uh, pretty much every vintage was uh, pretty solid in, with different expression. The five was great. We were doing some tastings of the five just recently this in my this trip, and it's showing still very young, very intense, powerful. Uh, I'm, t- I'm talking about the five. Uh, when six uh, is another vintage that needs more time, still very young, in a way similar to the 96, that was uh, very sharp at the beginning, but now starting to round up these tannins and getting a little silkier. Seven, uh, 2007, a warmer vintage, forward. We were tasting also this recently, like uh, still very, still young, fresh, but with sweet tannins, more alcohol and more glycerin makes the wine smoother. And uh, with this fruit ripe, very appealing uh, and a bit easier in a way. Uh, and then we had the, we are now on the 2008, 2008, that is a fabulous vintage, still a bit young, of course, full, rich, strong tannins. That why, that's why also we just release it because it needs time in the bottle. And the other, the other vintage is uh, like uh, 10, 11, 12, 13. They are all good vintages. They are still aging and they, are, uh, they will be soon, some of them on the market. But I am very excited about because I believe uh, all these last vintages, they are... Uh, they are a very good expression on the Biolo, and they would be very interesting. Are there vintages where being conflated in the customer mind with Barolo is somewhat difficult for the understanding of, of the vintage? I, I mean, when you describe 05 as a powerful wine, I find a lot of Barbaresco's in 05 to be more powerful, but then some of the, in the context of Barbaresco, but then some of the Barolo seem quite light, and it seems to have to do with when the rains came in 05 and when people picked in terms of Barbaresco being a little riper a little earlier yeah exactly it was a matter of uh, this rain this rain that uh, was uh, starting and and going on for a week and so Barbaresco being always more or less one week uh, uh, ahead in, in maturation than, uh, than, than Biolo when this rain started all Barbaresco was already picked some of the Barolo was already picked, and so we can have Barolo pre and after this rain, and so of course more dilu- some dilution in the after this rain, and this made the difference in in weight in structure uh, in the wines. Uh, but so few few Barolos they were already picked too. I believe probably fifty percent. So of course the the weather we are so much exposed to the. At the weather with the Nebbiolo grapes because it ripes later and when adult, in a dolcetto is a, it's an easier game because it ripes one month earlier and pretty much the maturation is very very consistent are there other vintages where you feel that the vintage was different for barbaresco than for barolo in a significant way recently recently apparently i didn't taste too many 2009 barolo but uh, I heard uh, and I found uh, that uh, the 2009 in Barolo they are expressing very well and very very good concentration. When in general they they tend to be that Barbaresco is a little bit weaker or in a way overripe because it was warm. 
So might be that a vintage that I can see some uh, some gap between the two. I'm happy with the, what I did in the nine uh, because it's the wine I'm tasting in these days that I'm that I'm uh, visiting uh, clients and uh, actually tastes like a, almost like a fresh or vintage. I don't know, but actually I pick uh, the acidity is fresh, and so uh, I, it would be more about from producer and producer. So a lot of people would have released in Barbaresco. A lot of people would have released their 2010 by now would be in the market, but you've held on to it and you've only recently released the eight, which is, you know, a fairly long time of elevage in terms of maturation in the bottle. Do you feel that that helps the appreciation of the wines in, in the market? Do you feel that uh, your part of the success is giving it that extra time or what's your approach on that? But uh, my approach is like I mean in this in this case I decided exceptionally to do the eight after the nine because I found the nine with a very good balance tannins that they were rounder in a way it was it is fresh and expressing a young character but in a in a nice balance so I can enjoy the wine already now when the eight they were a bit more aggressive tannins with more grip and still out of balance. So it was really the vintage that I thought uh, probably just uh, switch and I do that before because uh, they're just not ready. And so the risk is like, I'm, I will be showing the wine like I did in the past with other vintages, example, 2006, that they were not just, uh, un- they were not understood and it was hard to me to explain the wine and to tell them like it's a matter of time but this wine will be great and so it was kind of challenging because it's a bit confusing for a small winer like mine to change the order or release but now that I'm, we are showing the eight this is working well people they get something with more earthiness more complexities and more spice and they tend to like that Especially restaurants yeah. where they're probably sold out of some of their eights, and now they get to restock on some yeah. eights. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, the, everything is running very quick, and uh, the vintages they come in, uh, they are very young. So already the ten on the market, but I don't believe the ten they are ready. And so uh, sometimes it's matter to decant and to treat well the wine. And so I will enjoy the ten uh, also now, but I'm, I'm sure that the ten uh, they will be way better in six years. So uh, I'm trying to hold the wine a little longer. I was doing this already before, probably with the, my work at Produttori. I was a little bit following this way to do because that's what they do. They always release a little bit late. And I realized the time in the bottle, once you have a solid wine, even if I didn't do a fining to make the wine a little bit more ready, in long term, this is paying off well because uh, you get uh, more uh, the richness of the wine. Uh, it's, it's only a matter to have the the tannins to soft down a little bit, to have to tone down a little bit, and to get more in balance. But then the wine is more intriguing, is more true, is more Nebbiolo-like. I like Nebbiolo. I love Nebbiolo. I like to taste the Nebbiolo. I don't want to taste a smooth Nebbiolo with with no tannins. Nebbiolo has tannin, and they have to be the tannins that come from that vineyard, from that vintage. So for me, it is intriguing. Even if sometimes it's a little bit more harsh or difficult, as long as it was very good grape, 
I'm happy with the wine. It's just a matter of time. If the grape or the Nebbiolo di Bar not ripe well, that's not a good wine. That's a wine will never ripe well, will never be in balance. And I tasted very, very old vintages. They still have green tannins, but this was green tannins coming from the grapes not perfectly ripe. And what about 10? I mean, what did you think about it? You said it, it's going to need some more time. What was your experience of 10? 10, um, I'm very looking forward to retaste my 10 because actually, hopefully, I will uh, go back in Italy uh, to the Vinitaly Fair where I'll be, I'll be showing the 10 for the first time and retaste with my clients and to see the way they are showing now. But for uh, what I think, uh, it would be uh, still a matter of a few years because they are still tight. They are a little bit uh, not, not really showy. And so I see the wine needing more air and opening, they need time to open up. And so that means they need time also in the bottle. I find the 10 a very interesting vintage because uh, it was cooler, later harvest, we managed to have very low yields, beautiful grapes, alcohol was balanced. It is 14, 14 degrees only when, of course, Nebbiolo tends to have a lot of sugar, sometimes to go up to 14 and a half and more. And so it's a very good level of alcohol to have an elegant wine. And this late maturation of the Nebbiolo was bringing a gr great aromatic. And so following the wine aging in the cask, as I was very, very excited. And then I could see after the bottling, this wine closing down a little bit. So now it's kind of a going into a, into a phase that is like not exactly express, expressive like as I, I remember. But I'm quite sure this will be back, will we'll show it all this finesse and elegance later. And so I'm very confident. I'm, I'm only worried about one thing that will be difficult to explain this, but uh, I'm sure in few years, this will be very clear. It is a very elegant vintage with a great finesse and expressing a true character of Barbaresco. And what about the vintage that just finished the 2013 in terms of uh, harvest? That's another vintage that um, for me, it's again a new experience because uh, uh, it is different than any other I did. Uh, the maturation of the grapes came very late. We had to wait longer. Climate was cool, so positive. I like this kind of climate for Nebbiolo. Uh, ripe very well overall. And so the maturation, the phenolic maturation was very complete. So we have very nice colors and tannins, they are very balanced and kind of sweet and not very grippy. And so they are uh, not aggressive already now. It's kind of a perfect balance that uh, I, I, must, I almost never seen with good acidity, good freshness. So I see all the, the elements in the 2013 to be a vintage, delicious, even young, but with uh, a great potential also for aging. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to, to see the evolution of the 13. And honestly, I have to say that for me to understand 
very well. It takes me one year, in, I mean, one year to taste the wine after some time in the cask, when they start to clean up a little bit and to show the fruit and to soften the tannins a little bit. But uh, at the same time, I always have the memory of what the grapes were like and what we, the growing season was that year. And so I was very happy about all these things. And so it would be a smaller crop, but uh, for sure high quality for 2013. And what about some of the other grape varieties you grow? I've, I've seen a Fraser. Uh, bottling from you, not very frequently, but I've seen it. Uh, you make Dolcetto, you make Barbera. What would you say about some of those? Yeah, um, my family has been uh, planting different grapes in the property. So what I had to the property, they were the those three vineyard di Neve, that is Nebbiolo. So apparently if I add something to the property, it is Nebbiolo because this is my interest and my my favorite grape of course uh, my family like uh, every uh, winery or every farm in, in the old days they were planting a little bit of different grape classic grape of the region some Nebbiolo some Dolcetto some Barbera exceptionally some Fraser uh, but all autochthon grape of the region to have always on the market some grapes to sell and uh, being more uh, uh, in, in, in online with the different price for the grapes. And so sometimes the Dolcetto was paid well, sometimes the Nebbiolo was getting the same, the better price. And so, I mean, a mix of the different grapes was a classic thing to have. And so as a result, these uh, all the wineries, they always have a Barbaresco, a Barbera, a Dolcetto, eventually some other. Mainly reds, of course. The whites is something new for Barbaresco area. Uh, and so we have a small vineyard of Fresa. We vinify like a, a more fresher in style and a little sparkly with a second fermentation in vat. And so like a summer wine. My grandfather planted that because uh, he was also doing some refermentation, the same refermentation in the bottle. I mean, it was the sparkly wine for the family. So to drink uh, uh, in the summer, a little bit chilled. And so we are repeating this kind of style, small amount, of course, 2000 bottles of this per year. And then the classic Dolcetto. Dolcetto was the, it is the one we drink more every day low acidity, smooth, ripe cherries, nice fruit, always a pleasant wine, very easy to please also the market because uh, it is uh, more accessible in price point and actually in style. And uh, also there we have like 50 years old wine. So always a dolcetto has very good minerality and balance. And a tiny small vineyard in the Ovello was planted in the same time as the vineyard uh, Nebbiolo in the Ovello. So very old vineyard of Barbera where we make less than 2000 bottles. So uh, an elegant rich Barbera like the style of the Barbera as we know is more powerful in fruit and structure but no tannins and so uh, easy to to please, uh, easy to to sip with different kind of food without having this grip that uh, gives the character to Nebbiolo. So the classic, the classic grapes, uh, vinified all in a classic way, I would say. Stainless steel for Dolcetto, short time in oak for the Barbera, stainless steel for the Fraser. Do you find some of those harder or easier to grow than Nebbiolo? 
dolcetto in Barbera they have a shorter growing season the Nebbiolo is the longest so require more time per hectare more hours because of course we do everything by hand every, every work is done by hand in the vineyards and so Nebbiolo is more demanding for in time and it's more demanding also because uh, uh, being the grape that, ripe, that, uh, that ripes later is more exposed to the to the weather risks and so um, a little bit more difficult when the dolcetto with a short growing season uh, even eventually if it's overcropped uh, never too high the acidity never strong the tannins and so I tasted wines made from overcropped dolcetto that they are pleasant wine they are just lighter never like this for Nebbiolo Nebbiolo becomes harsh and difficult and unripe and green so we have to pay more attention for the Nebbiolo and it's a, it's a most, more delicate variety for sure Have you had a chance ever to do some of the cooking that you originally wanted to do as a child or has that been lost uh, you know, I always said that in my mind but honestly I never I never really worked uh, I never had really the time my project uh, in, in doing my own way my own vinifications it was taking uh, um, all my energy 100% and all my life 100% uh, but always I had this in my mind uh, I, it's something I'm working on it now I have uh, finally uh, uh, restored the, the old barn of the family that is uh, in the cantina about the cantina and I, and I have my own apartment with the, where the heart of the house is like uh, is my kitchen now and so I have been thinking about this since 10 years now I have my ideal kitchen after many years and so I'm starting to do, starting to cook with friends. I have sometimes, I'm lucky because I have friends that they are chefs, so they come, they cook something with me, I learn something, and I really enjoy after a long day to get home at your kitchen to prepare some food, just at the beginning of the preparation of the food, to open a bottle of wine with friends, and this is really something that is, of course, uh, fantastic and is a, a pleasure of the life so it is something uh, i will improve i hope on in terms of cooking food to complement wines from the Lange or from barbaresco in particular what should i be thinking about if i wanted to make dishes that were going to work well with the nebbiolo or with the dolcetto of course um, what we always say has, has always been like almost a rule uh, uh, the meat we cook in the region works very well. The tannins of the Nebbiolo, they display this, uh, 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 this um, tendency to be paired very well with the proteins. And, co and, and of course, uh, we have a lot of veal in the area. We have poultry also. And so when we braise, uh, when we do reduction of sauces, these darker tones, the meat, the proteins goes very well with the with the barbaresco, with the barolo, with the wine that has a certain lot of tannins. But that's I think is very limited uh, because uh, uh, it's uh, we don't have that kind of food so often. We we should try to pair with different things and barbaresco with its lightness, delicacy, and uh, is never heavy fat. 
and and wine, but it's always almost like uh, with higher tones, bright and refreshing. So can 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 be a good companion for also lighter style of food. For example, I love to make. A, I believe the rice goes very well with the with the barbaresco, especially when we make a nice risotto and we have like veal stock to make the risotto uh, better than the vegetable stock. So chicken or like uh, chicken stock or so meat stock and uh, so mushrooms would be a classic but also simple parmigiano once you use the the veal stock and parmigiano cheese it goes so well with barbaresco the amid of the rice it's a perfect uh, pairing uh, and so it's a matter sometimes to try something that is not uh, classic but i believe barbaresco it's easier to pair than what we think especially when it when it gets some age and the tannins they are silkier and they're a little bit less uh, uh, aggressive at the palate, becomes way more easy to pair with, with food. And as you've traveled around the world, have you seen different markets that are more or less receptive to Barbaresco in particular? Is it sometimes more difficult to, say, sell Barbaresco than Barolo, or is it easier? Barbaresco has always been a little bit more difficult than Barolo because uh, Barolo is more known for sure and so Barbaresco needs to be explained more. Uh, Barbaresco uh, is a close, uh, is the close brother of the Barolo. They are made in the same way. They're just a different expression of the same grape but the name is not as known especially in uh, uh, newer markets. And so in the old markets, like uh, the markets close to our region, like Swiss, Germany, Barbaresco is more known. Uh, in the States, that there is a, like, a lot of uh, uh, wine culture, Barbaresco is also more known. Uh, but once we go more, for example, to, for example, in East, uh, like in Asia, Barolo is more known. Barolo is the wine that uh, everybody knows, maybe they never tasted, so Barbaresco has to be explained. And so it's, a, it's, it's something we, all the producers, uh, uh, we are trying to do. We are a small community, but I can see every one of us is very putting all their efforts to, to travel, to go, to explain. And um, for me, as we were saying, I really enjoy traveling. And so uh, I use uh, this excuse to see the world. And at the same time, I, I propose my wine and I feel like I'm doing something for our small community. And I'm, and I'm like uh, other producer they are doing, of course, uh, better than me, but I'm doing my part. And just to give you an example, in in uh, in June, no, actually it would be July. We are organizing now. We are organizing a, a dinner in Hong Kong with my distributor there, with uh, a Chinese restaurant, with uh, Asian food, and uh, they are working on the uh, menu. But we want to try uh, Barbaresco with their food, and to do this experience. Uh, I believe with the spice some food can have, the spice of the barbaresco, uh, the, the kind of structure of the barbaresco, maybe the use of the soy in this di that, that dishes, might be something very interesting. I'm really looking forward to this. So this is also a way to promote other wines. You mentioned a small community, but it also seems like you have a small amount of vineyard holdings. Uh, you added the Albazani yeah. uh, not too long ago, but is it a desire of yours to grow larger or no? 
I, w- I say no, it's not my desire to grow larger because uh, to grow larger, uh, n- now I have seven hectares and I make less than 4,000 cases. I make mainly Nebbiolo and so I would say, me, of course, mainly Barbaresco. But I can manage everything now. It's a lot of work, but actually I can follow. I work in the vineyards, I work in my office, I work in the winery, I do the marketing. It's a size that allows me to follow very well all the process, to, ge- to be there from the beginning to the end, to plant in the vines, to be here in New York to show my wine. And so I, I believe this is a very, way, a, a very good way to follow my quality, to see what I did in the vineyard, if it's well received with the customers here. To grow means to organize the wine in a different way. And so once you, I, I, I would be more than what I do, and my winery would be more hectares, should grow uh, suddenly maybe double. And so to have a different structure with a more person following different aspects. So I kind of like staying this size would be ideal for me. Renato Vaca, he's following the quality at Cantina del Pino, and so am I. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you very much, Levi, for the opportunity. It was a, v- a very good pleasure. Renato Vaca of Cantina del Pino in Barbaresco. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levi Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.